turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to be tonight, first 20 verses. Um, some of you know I attended Appalachian State University when I was in college, and that's located in Boone, North Carolina, um, which is northwestern part of North Carolina. It's an absolutely beautiful place if you've never been there before. Um, it used to be more beautiful. It used to look like Andrews, and then a college came in, and it kind of like took over the entire town. Um, but it's still a gorgeous place. Um, when I was there, some of our professors on a, on a good day, um, they were like, the weather's too nice to be inside. And, uh, and so since we studied, uh, our, our field of study was philosophy and religion, they were like, let's go outside and have class outside. And so we'd get to go outside and have class outside, which is really fun um, and really enjoyable if you've never had an outdoor class before. Um, and so uh, the reason I start that way is because that's where we find ourselves as we read Mark 4, is Jesus is having an outdoor class, all right? And it looks a little different because um, his pulpit is a boat, and it's beside a sea, and there's a lot of people there, all right? It's not like a, a college classroom, but I wanted to, to set the scene for us so that we understand what's happening um, and we have a better understanding of the context of what he is teaching and why he's saying what he's saying and why he's saying it in the way that he's saying. And so what we find here is a boiling pot of emotion with the ingredients um, such as conflict, antagonism, jealousy, anger, opposition, misunderstanding. Right, we, we have this battle going on between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. Even uh, a few weeks ago, we saw Rob preach at the end of chapter 3 and how the, the religious leaders were accusing Jesus of doing Satan's work. And even Jesus' own family is thinking that he's crazy. So there's a lot of misunderstanding going on. Uh, and if you remember back in the beginning of chapter 3, uh, the religious leaders teamed up with their enemies, the political leaders of the day. And, and in that verse, chapter 3, verse 6, it says they sought to counsel how to destroy him. They want to destroy Jesus. So how do we get to this point? That's where we find ourselves, the beginning of chapter 4. How do we get to this point? And, and so I wanted to cover just five controversies really quickly as a way to set up this passage. And this is what we see. And the first controversy is that Jesus forgives the sin of a paralyzed man before healing him. And by doing that, he's claiming to be God, because only God forgives sin. And the second one is Jesus socializes with sinners after calling Matthew to follow him as his disciple. The third one is Jesus' disciples didn't fast. And so that really ruffled the feathers of the religious leaders. And the fourth one was Jesus and his followers valid, uh, violated some Sabbath traditions, which made them really mad, the religious leaders. And then in the final one, Jesus says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then he heals a man with a shriveled hand. This did not go over very well. Uh, in that, in that uh, passage, he said to them, Jesus is saying, it is, lawful, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. In verse 5 of chapter 3, it says, And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. That right there is key for our passage tonight. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So that sets the stage for us before we read God's word in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. We're going to pray that the Lord would speak to us. So let's pray right now. Father, 
we praise you for this time to gather together one last time in 2023 around your word. I have nothing to say that is of value. Only the power of your word can change our hearts and our minds. And so what I ask now is through your written word that your Holy Spirit would grant to us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to respond in obedient faith to your word because we need your word because it is life. And we can only have life by and through you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is God's word, and it says, Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, and in, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But the, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And so the main point that I want us to get out of this passage tonight because there's a lot of things we can draw from this. But the main point is Jesus aims at your heart. He aims at your heart through your ear, using his word so that we might hear and respond to the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus is aiming at hearts here, all right? And, and so this, the setting of this sea is the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is sowing right now in this passage. He's sowing the seed of the gospel. He's doing what we, uh, he told us he would do from the very beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, when he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's doing this over and over again. He's teaching and he's preaching the gospel. And in his teaching, we know that he is being the son of God. 
in the flesh. He's teaching with authority and demonstration of power. We've already seen his supernatural power over the seen and the unseen realm, over disease and demons. And we've seen that the leaders are persistently and consistently rejecting him as the Messiah. They have hardened their hearts towards him and his message. They have eyes to see his miracles right in front of them, but they fail to see that Jesus is the Christ prophesied about throughout the Old Testament. They have ears to hear Jesus' teaching, but they fail to trust his message. And the crowd, the crowds were consistently growing. They're getting larger and larger because Jesus is the hottest ticket in town. It's the most entertaining thing to come and see and listen to. What's he going to do next? What's he going to say next? It's very controversial. He's garnered a lot of attention from the crowd. And this crowd is coming not because he can teach really well, but because they want to be entertained. Because they're selfish. They have this my kingdom first mentality coming to Christ. So much so that they wouldn't stop reaching out and touching him because they were going to crush him. The crowd was going to crush him because they wanted to see what he could do miraculously for them. So his disciples put him on a boat so that nobody could get near him. It's kind of like a line. If you've been to a concert, you can't get on the stage with the person doing the concert. You can't get on the court if you go to a basketball game. You can't get on the field if you go to a football game. And if you try to, you're going to get tackled by security, and they're going to take you out. So that's what the disciples have done here, right? Because the crowd cares more about seeing a miracle and receiving a physical healing than they care to hear the words that are coming out of his mouth and truly listening for heart change. So in verse 2, it says that Jesus taught in parables. Now, if you've never studied parables, they're not very complex. It's pretty simple. Parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus is teaching them in this culture, and he's using an agricultural illustration so that they, they could easily grasp what he was saying. They, they saw these things on a regular basis. They understood these things, right? He, he's using something on the earth to describe a spiritual reality. He's using the material to um, illustrate the immaterial. And so what I found very interesting in studying this was that 35% of what Jesus taught was in parables, pretty fascinating right and so how does he begin the parable he says look at verse three this is super important for the entire passage he says listen exclamation point listen behold a sower went out to sow and that in the greek this word i'm not even going to say it i'll butcher it but what it means is hear this hear this consider this listen up perceive this this is a strong imperative, right? This is a command to listen. Um, I know a lot of you have kids, or you've probably had the privilege of going to a kid's sporting event, which is very exciting. They're very entertaining, right? And the kids could care less. Who cares more? The adults. The adults care more. Who cares the most? The coaches, because they're coaching, right? And if, whether you're at practice or whether you're at, at the game, the coach is yelling at the kids to get the kids to do what? Listen! Right? And if you're at practice, then the coach would uh, blow the whistle to get their attention. Just like that. I get, that was probably Tammy Coleman. She can whistle better than anybody in the room. That's what, that's what Jesus is doing right here in this passage. He's whistling to get people's attention. He said, listen up. 
This is important. What I'm about to say is super, super important. And he knows, just like a coach tells the kids, if you don't listen to the instructions, then you will not know how to play the game. And then you will lose. Nobody likes to lose. It's not fun. Right? So listen up. Pay attention. Give ear to this word that's about to come out of my mouth. Now, some have said that this is the parable of the sower, which is true, but could also be the parable of the seed or the parable of the soil. All of these are very important words, which we need to understand what they are. So the sower in this passage is Jesus, but it's also anyone who comes after him who proclaims the gospel of the kingdom of God. The seed, every time, is the, gos- is the gospel. It's God's word. It's the, the seed that holds the key to life. It produces a harvest, but it must be planted and cultivated or it won't be fruitful. And the soil is the human heart. Now, Jesus explains four kinds of soils in this parable. In the first, he says it's the path or it's the packed soil. And what that represents is a person who has a hard heart. And the second one is a rocky soil, and that person has a shallow heart. The third one is a thorny soil, and that person has a divided or distracted or a crowded heart. And the fourth one is the only good soil, and that person has a fruitful, receptive, soft heart, which is fertile and bears fruit. So after Jesus told this parable, in verse 9, he says again the same Greek word, hear. Listen to this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear hear what? What does he want us to hear? The gospel. Jesus wanted people to pay attention and listen up and hear the gospel. And he's not talking about just auditory hearing. He's not talking about just hearing with your, the eardrums that you have that the creator put in your ears. He's talking about hearing that goes deep down into your heart that changes you, that moves a, per- a person. In Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We see the seed right there in that verse. So this parable is probably Jesus' most important parable. He said, if you don't understand this one, how are you going to understand anything else? Right, this is super important. And The reason it's so important also, and the reason it's a lot of people's favorite, is because Jesus actually gives an interpretation of it, which is very helpful. So we're not left guessing, what does this mean, right? When you look at verse 10, we learn that followers wanted to know more about the parables. So back to the college classroom, right? Like, you remember after class, whether it was high school or college, when when the bell rings or the class is over, what do most people do? Bolt. They leave right? They can't wait to get out of there, okay? So class is over. The crowd's dispersed. Who stays behind? People who want to listen, people who want to learn, people who want to know more, right? So that's what the followers of Jesus are doing here. It's not just the disciples here. It says it's just people who are following and the 12, right? So they are super interested. They want to learn. They want to know, and Jesus is willing to disciple those close to him, He wants to disciple them. He wants to teach them. He wants them to understand the few who trust him, the few who believe, the few who have faith and desire to listen and obey his word. Look at verse 11. This is key. Jesus says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. What's the secret? That's pretty mysterious. Well, the secret is this. Jesus is the Messiah. 
Jesus is the Messiah who came to die, which was shocking. No one expected the Messiah would come to die. No one was expecting the Messiah would be the Son of God in the flesh. And the fact that he would die, the secret being life comes through death. No one was expecting that. That's huge. That's a game changer. Just like sowing a seed in the ground is great, but unless the seed dies, it will never produce fruit. We'll talk about that later in more detail. But Jesus explains the four soils, and he is saying that there's two types of people. Because in that verse, he says outside, those outside and those inside, there's two types of people. The authors of the Life Application Commentary said this, This quote will be on the screen for you. Those outside, the religious leaders and the vast majority of the crowd, would never solve the mystery or the secret, for they would not come to God for the answer. Choosing not to believe in Jesus as their Messiah, they would not be able to respond, understand the kingdom. These outsiders had already rejected Jesus. No amount of explaining or talking would make any difference. The soil of their heart was hard. The seed of the word would not grow. The parables would be nothing more than strange stories for them. The parables allowed Jesus to give spiritual food to those who hungered for it. But for others, Isaiah's prophecy would explain their situation. A lot of people were coming, hey, you got to come listen. you got to come listen to this dude. He's preaching down by the sea again. And people would be like, oh, I'll come here. And then they would hear, and they'd walk in and say, that guy, that guy was telling some strange stories. But then other people would come and listen, and they would be like, oh, man, this, this sounds familiar. This is intriguing. I want to know more. And then their hearts would be changed because they were open to the words of God. Those outside are those living in the kingdom of this world. They're living under self-rule. Those inside are living in the kingdom of God. They're Christ-ruled. They submit to King Jesus. And so Jesus says, I'll be honest, Jesus says some pretty hard things in this passage. And the reason he says hard things is because he's quoting from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 after Isaiah gets this amazing vision of God on the throne and all the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah is like, I'm undone, I'm unclean, and I should be done away with. And the Lord atones for his sin and says, you are going to go and share a message to the people. And this is his message. This is God's word to unfaithful Israel. This is Isaiah chapter 6. Verses 9 through 10. Go, say to to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So the unfruitfulness of Israel brings spiritual deafness and spiritual blindness. So Jesus' parable, what he's saying is a judgment on the nation of Israel from Jesus, from Isaiah all the way to the first century. G.K. Bill said, according to Isaiah, Israel is corrupt to the very core. In Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, Israel is blind and deaf, just like the idols they worship. So the, the people not hearing is judgment on their rejection of God's Messiah and stubborn opposition to his word. And to God's word made flesh right in front of their face. It's amazing. The the rebellion and refusal to believe, and you've probably seen this in your life before, in somebody else maybe. Rebellion and refusal to believe ultimately leads to inability to believe. It's amazing how the very same gospel can be cherished by someone 
and completely rejected and said that's foolishness by somebody else. The very same gospel. I found this quote pretty eye-opening. Danny Aiken said, Jesus' point is that just as the sun that hardens the clay also melts the wax, so the word of the gospel offends the resistant and rebellious while it, it enthusiastically received by the receptive. The same gospel. So let's tr- make a transition real quick into Jesus' interpretation. Right? He tells the followers the sower's role. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, the sowers sow the word. That's your role, follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, that's your role in the kingdom of God. Sow the word. Sower, sow the word. Jesus doesn't say that there's anything particularly special about the sower. He doesn't say their, their, so, their bag that's holding the seed is pretty, is pretty cool. Or, hey, sowers, you need to wear certain things, and you need to say these certain things. And you need to present the gospel in a certain way, or people won't listen. You need to be attractive. Right? The attention in here is not on the sower. It's on the seed. It's on the soil. Right? And, and the Apostle Paul understood this. In 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul says this, What then about Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. So sowers sow. It's pretty simple, right? That's what we're supposed to do. A few weeks ago, me and Zach were sitting at a kid's basketball game, and we were watching the Andrews Wildcats play the Hazel Yellow Jackets. And there was this little kid on the Hazel Yellow Jackets team who was an absolute fireball. He was the smallest kid on the court, but he was not afraid at all. Every time he got the ball, he pulled the trigger. Like every time. He was not afraid to shoot no matter where he was on the court, right? And me and Zach looked at each other, and we said almost at the same time, shooter's going to shoot, right? Shooters shoot. That's what they do. Right, and, and, he, and the kid understood that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Thank you, Michael Scott. Or, wait, was that Wayne Gretzky? Okay, sorry. Um, but what's the role? What's our role in the kingdom of God? It's to sow the seed. Sow or sow, right? Just like shoot or shoot. Sow or sow. Listeners, listen. Believers bear fruit. That's what this is saying. Now, I know our context today is a little different than Jesus's, Right? most of us aren't sowing the word of God to Jews. Most of us aren't talking to Israelites. But even still, today, do we not live in a hostile environment? In a, in a culture that's distracted, divided, self-absorbed, self-loving, pleasure-seeking, full of idols? That's our context. And the soil explained in the parable still resides in people's hearts today. And so I want to explain these soils and the hearts of the people with the understanding of three enemies of spiritual fruit. Three enemies of spiritual fruit we know are three greatest threats to bearing fruit for God's glory is this, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I believe that we see each of these in reverse order in these soils. The devil is going after the hard-packed soil. And the, and the flesh is represented by the shallow soil, and the world is represented by the divided soil. Look at verse 15. Some people have hearts that are so hard they can't receive the truth. They're perpetually packed down. I've been to Guatemala many times, and one thing I can tell you about Guatemala is that there's not a lot of concrete or asphalt. There is a lot of dirt, 
right? And so they don't have concrete or asphalt for roads, much less sidewalks or paths. And so what do you find all over the place in between houses and in the field is hard-packed paths. These, this is dirt. It's so hard that you could take a seed and throw it down on the soil, on the dirt that's packed down, and it would bounce just like you threw it on this floor right now. That's how hard-packed it is. Do you know anybody with a hard heart? Have you ever tried to sow the seed of God's word towards somebody who has a hard heart? They immediately reject Jesus. They don't want to have anything to do with his message, right? Their heart is hardened, and they don't pay attention. They don't heed Jesus' command to listen. They're not hearing his words. And Jesus tells us that Satan takes advantage of that. He works overtime to keep the word of God from those people. And he snatches it away. He'll do anything to get us not to listen, to get anybody you share the gospel with not to listen to the word of God. In each scenario, Jesus describes the sower doing the same thing. He's spreading seed. He's spreading seed. And the seed doesn't change. It's the word of God. It's the gospel, the kingdom of God. And the soil is the one thing that changes. Look at verses 16 and 17. Jesus explains the rocky soil. These people have superficial emotions. His word is new. It's exciting. I've never heard it before. And they receive it briefly and with excitement. But it has no staying power. Why? Because they have no roots. They have shallow soil with a rocky bottom. Their enthusiasm for Christ wanes. Their joy disappears. Have you ever known anybody like that? It appeared for a moment that they, they loved the Lord for a little while. It appears that they actually believed. But then the circumstances in their life change. And they find themselves in a difficult environment. Or maybe their situation gets really hard in life. And what happens? They fall away and leave the faith. Because the human heart is easily manipulated. Especially emotionally. Right? Like, to drum up emotional feelings during a religious service is not very hard. To get people to respond in an emotionally charged environment is not very difficult. That doesn't lead to lasting change. I've been in churches before, maybe you've been in churches before, where there's a long altar call, where uh, somebody pads on the, on the piano for a really long time, maybe where there's some mist or smoke, or there's like r small music playing in the background, and the, the pastor's like pleading for people, I'm not, we're not leaning into the service until somebody comes down. And, right? Or maybe you've seen like the same person come down every week. I've been in a church where I saw a guy come down almost every week, but guess what? Nothing changed in his life. He was responding emotionally. It was shallow. Spurgeon said, persons with shallow characters are often quick in receiving religious impressions, but they also lose them just as quickly. Those who are hasty and impulsive are easily turned the wrong way as the right way. They don't cling to Christ because they're not really listening to him. They're listening to their flesh. And that's why they fall away. And the last unfruitful soil Jesus describes is in verses 17, uh, 18 and 19. This is the, thor the thorny soil, the distracted, the divided, the crowded heart that doesn't have room for Jesus or his message because it desires other things more. 
Have you ever known anybody like this? This, this heart that looks like an idol factory? They, they hear the message of Jesus. They accept the seed. It grows up for a little bit, but ultimately, they're not really truly genuinely repentant for there are other seeds called weeds that grow up with it in this sinful world that we live in. And those people with thorny soil tend to cultivate the weeds more than the actual seed. They water the weeds more. They cultivate the weeds more. They spend more time on those weeds. And when you care more about the things of the world than about the word, you're going to neglect God. You're going to neglect his word. You're going to look at the kingdoms of this world, and you're going to long for the health, the wealth, the prosperity. You're going to long for the pleasure that the pursuits of the kingdom of the world would bring over the kingdom of God. And the human heart cannot have both, the world and the word. And that's why this heart soil is classified as crowded. Because eventually it's going to choke out the word. So the first three heart soils bear no fruit because they're outside the kingdom of God. They fall short of saving faith because they fail to persevere. They have no root and they bear no fruit. We get to the final verse, verse 20. And it describes the only good soil. The only soil that is fruitful. Why? Because it focuses on the kingdom of God. And it's a heart that's been plowed by the Holy Spirit. And it's ready to receive the word. Classified in three ways, Jesus uses three words. He says, hear, accept, and bear fruit. Here, they listen to Jesus' message, truly. They accept, they trust Jesus. They respond in faithful obedience, and they bear fruit. They abide in Jesus and glorify the Father by bearing the fruit of the Spirit. This person is a person whose heart is submissive to the will of the Father, just like Jesus was on the earth. I believe in verse 20, that this is a description of a person whose heart has been tilled by the Holy Spirit so that the soil of their heart is receptive to the seed of God's word and is cultivated and grows deep roots and bears much fruit for God's glory. I also believe that this is a description of Jesus's ministry. The verse 20 is a description of Jesus's ministry and true saving faith for those who are rooted in Christ because it's ever-increasing And it has an unimaginable harvest. It says 30, 60, 100 fold. This yield would have been miraculous. It was stunning. It was otherworldly. It was unheard of. The people couldn't see the kingdom of God right in front of their face was the king. And they couldn't see him. They didn't listen to him. In fact, in the gospel of Mark, the only human being to rightly see Jesus For who he was, was in the last chapter. In Mark 15, 39, the centurion at the cross stood facing him and saw that in this way Jesus breathed his last. And the man said, truly this man was the son of God. So the soldier at the crucifixion saw Jesus clearly. And here's the astonishing truth about this passage. The true sower, Jesus, became the seed that died and was buried, hidden in the ground, and would return to life to bear fruit of eternal life, an eternal kingdom 
that would have no end and would never be hidden again. This is the gospel. This is the secret of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is the Christ who came to die in our place, that life comes through death. This seed only grows when one seed is sown into the ground and nobody sees the seed anymore. It's buried in the ground so that it can then die in submissive soil and bring forth life. Now, I know that a lot of us would love to classify ourselves and, and categorize ourselves. If there's four soils, we would love to say, I'm in the fourth soil. That's my heart. I'm the fourth soil. But I don't want us to be too quick to jump there. Because one amazing thing about this parable is that every person in the earth is described and fits in one of these four heart soils. Every person. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you should be producing fruit in keeping with repentance. There should be evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life and the word of Christ bearing fruit in your life for the glory of God. But I believe that each of us have at one point in time in our lives gone through the first three soils. Even Jesus, even Jesus later warns his disciples. He actually chastises them for not understanding and for doubting his words. Although they saw him do miracles and they heard him teach over and over again he chastised them and warns them of their hardness of heart we're going to see that in a few chapters in the gospel of mark but jesus is aiming at the heart through your ear using his word so that we would hear and respond the secret of the kingdom is that jesus is the king and we're called to be submissive to him to hear his word, receive it, die to ourselves so that we can truly live and bear fruit. At the end of C.S. Lewis's masterful work, Mere Christianity, he says this on the very last page. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. End quote. Jesus' kingdom wins in the end. His kingdom ends. Until then, we engage in spiritual warfare. So on the screen, I think this fits together how we should respond to this text, giving the understanding that we have later in the New Testament. That Satan and the devil, Satan and the devil, same person, okay? They attack, and they're against the sower. They're against anybody who would sow the word of God, who would try to spread the seed. And so the sower needs to have the shield of faith. They need to have the shield of faith in one hand, and they need to have their seed bag in the other hand. Right? But we know that a lot of times we don't sow seed. Why? Because we are selfish and we give into the flesh. And we, we spend more time focusing on the flesh than we do on the seed, which is the Word of God. And so we don't pick up the sword of the Spirit. But what we should be doing as followers of Jesus is have this shield of faith in one hand, the sword of the Spirit in the other hand, sowing the seed in this sinful world so that we encounter people with various different kinds of soil, praying that the Spirit of God would do the work on their soul that we can't do. Because there's something we can do, the role, so or so, but what we can't do is we can't cause it to grow. We can't cause it to bear fruit. 
Only God can do that. Where I got this illustration was from Ephesians 6, where we understand that there is a very real spiritual war going on constantly for our heart's affections, for our heart's allegiance. Followers of Jesus are to live submissive to Jesus. Sowers are to sow with the shield of faith in one hand and the sword in the other hand. We're to labor not in our own power, but equipped and empowered by the Spirit of God. And in the end of Ephesians 6, it says that we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication so that to this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Good soil produces good fruit, and only those who abide in Jesus bear fruit. Go read John 15. That's what Jesus' main prayer was, and his point was he wants his disciples to bear fruit, and those who abide in Jesus actually bear fruit because he is the vine. And you can't glorify the Father. You can't bring the Father pleasure if you don't bear fruit. In that same chapter, Jesus says in John 15, 16, he combines fruit bearing with prayer. One verse, he says, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go, sow seed, and bear fruit that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. God chooses, God appoints, God tills your heart, God plows the heart, God brings the harvest, God uses his saints to sow seed. So how are we to respond to this? How do we respond to this at the end of 2023, moving into 2024? Recognize the secret of the kingdom and submit to the king. And realize that life comes through death. Jesus demonstrated that for us. Listen to his word daily. Take time to truly hear it. There's nothing more important that we could give our time to. Let the Lord plow your heart before you read the word, while you're reading the word, after you read the word. Let him break up the hard and sensitive areas in you and let his seed get inside of you. Sow seed liberally. And leave the growth to God. His word does the work we can't do. And pray. Pray for good soil. Intercede intentionally for those in whom you're sowing the seed. And lastly, intercede internationally. If you want to see the seed of God's word bear fruit, then we need to be praying. And so I want us to end how we began. And we need to be praying for opportunities to scatter the seed. We need to be praying for the soil of other people's hearts. We need to be praying for those scattering the seed all over the world, not just in Andrews, North Carolina. And so here's the challenge that I want to give us, church, in 2024. I want us in 2024 to intercede internationally daily. And how we can do that is pretty simple because Red Oak Church has four couples primarily that we partner with and support and provide assistance while they're on the field. And so what I want us to do, what me and Allie are going to do, and I hope you, in, in, you are invited to join us in this, is to week by week choose a couple. So for example, you could choose week one. I'm going to pray for the Ellis's in India every day during the first week of every month. And then the second week, I'm going to pray for the Roberts in Togo. And the third week, I'm going to pray for the Worths in Chad. And the, fifth, the fourth week, I'm going to pray for the Helms in Uganda. You don't have to do it in that order, right? You can, you can mix it up. You can put the Helms week one, 
in the, the worst week three, whatever. But if we do this, then we are guaranteeing our missionaries on the field internationally that we are interceding for them while they're sowing seed on a, a lot of hard ground, on a, on a lot of, of rocky soil, right? And, and I guarantee you, if we do this, if we pray for opportunities to share the gospel, the Lord will give you opportunities to share the gospel. He'll give you eyes to see those opportunities, and you just have to have the courage to step out and take them. And if we're praying, we're going to see more and more fruit. I guarantee it because that's what God's word says. That we are called to be sowers of his word, submissive to Jesus. That we are called to be sowers, sharing the word of God liberally. And that we're called to be sowers who are making supplication regularly. For those that were sowing here right now in Andrews every day, wherever you work, wherever you live, but also internationally. Because while you might not be able to go and be an international missionary, you might not be able to go and visit one of our international missionaries, guess what? You can still be involved. You can still sow by interceding for them as they're sowing. So let's pray. Father, we surrender to you right now, we acknowledge that we need your word. We need you, Jesus. You are the word made flesh. What well, we just got done celebrating Christmas time. That you are the ultimate and true sower, the perfect sower who never failed, who is never selfish, who never failed to share the true, unadulterated word of God. Thank you for being the secret to the kingdom, Jesus. Thank you for being a true and faithful Messiah. Thank you for being the Christ, our King, who lived the perfect life, who then died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place, buried in the grave, in the ground, and then rising victoriously from the grave. We praise you, Jesus, for the resurrection. We praise you that you are the resurrection and the life. We praise you that your word is alive and active because you are alive and active and you intercede right now for us at your Father's right hand. And Holy Spirit, we ask that your word, as we read it, as we study it, as we listen to it, as we share it, would fall on soft hearts, receptive, so that it would die and bear fruit in our lives for the glory of the Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.